Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, welcome to the Good Divorce Show. I am your Good Divorce Coach, Karen McNinney. Today, we have an international guest with us. Sarah Davison, best known as The Divorce Coach, is a multi-award winning coach, twice best-selling author and podcast host of Heartbreak to Happiness. Sara is also a global media commentator for TV and radio on breakups, divorce, and life empowerment. Following the launch of Sara's Breakup and Divorce Coach Practitioner Accreditation Program in 2018, which is the International Divorce Coach Center of Excellence, this has become a community of over 400 divorce coaches spanning 23 countries and five continents. Following her own difficult divorce 14 years ago, Sara realized there was no specific support for her. So she began to build on her own experience and turn her pain into power and set out on a mission to help people around the world to cope better with any kind of breakup. Welcome to the show, Sarah Davison. Oh, thank you, Karen. It's really exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy to uh, have you with us today. Give us just a little context of your own journey. Take us back 14 years ago and what you were facing in your personal life and how you came out the other side. Oh, yes. So this is the whole reason why I do this work, to be honest. I, I've been coaching already for about 15 years um, and I'd met my soulmate. So I thought um, I was super happy. We were married. We had a little boy who was just one year old. And I found out literally overnight that my husband no longer wanted to be married to me. And not only that, he was also madly in love with somebody else. Um, she happened to be 12 years younger, which Karen never helps. I could tell you <laughs> that's an ouch. That's an ouch. Stunningly beautiful. Uh, that again, doesn't help either. Um, and also within a couple of weeks, she was expecting his baby. Oh, so wow. yeah, it hit me like a freight train. I had no idea it was coming. So I felt like the rubber being pulled out from under my feet. We also worked together. We had a global business with nearly 200 staff with an office in London where we lived and an office in Australia, in Sydney. So, you know, we were very involved. My whole life was working with him and, you know, all our staff knew about this. So obviously it was a real embarrassing, humiliating time. Um, And following me discovering the affair, Um, I soon found out that she'd been made a director of my company and I had lost my directorship. Oh my goodness. Work with her as well. And then my husband and her moved into the penthouse apartment in the apartments that I was living in with my son, who was only one at the time. So I was living in very close quarters with them, um, except she was living in the penthouse and I was living on the first floor Um, So it was a really tough time. I think I was thrown into a very uh, aggressive divorce process. Even if one of you, as you'll know, Karen, wants to be amicable about things and work it through, if the other is hell-bent on annihilation and causing maximum suffering, that's just not going to happen. So I was dragged through two and a half years in the high court as well. And as I was going through all of this, obviously, I did a lot of that ugly crying on the bathroom floor. I did a lot of talking to my mom at two o'clock in the morning. I did a lot of crying on my friend's sofas and they came over to see me a lot as well. 
But I got to a point where I thought, you know what, this is so much pain. There has to be a purpose for this. It can't just be for me to go through this and then just carry on because this has decimated my entire life, my work life, my personal life, my parenting. So um, I decided to find a way through because I looked for help and there really wasn't. This is a long time ago now, 14 years ago. It was just therapy. And I, and I tried therapy and it had its purposes. It was, it was useful, but it, it didn't help me with some of those scenarios like if your husband has got somebody pregnant. That wasn't really part of it. And I needed specific tools to help me dial down the pain. So I decided to combine my coaching skills with the process I was thrown into to create a way for me to get through it and to help my son as well. And that's now what I share with people all over the world. And it became my mission to share these tools with people to make sure that no one else had to go through that pain that I went to went through and sort of feel alone and, and that there was no help. So I've sort of gone through everything I went through and thought, what would I have liked? What would I have needed? What would have helped me? And tried to fill those gaps. And so that's what I do now. It's a beautiful mission. And I am delighted to meet another pioneer in this effort, this global effort to change the negative narrative around divorce and also change how we support people going through divorce. So thank you for your work and your pioneering efforts, Sarah. Oh, well, thank you as well. I mean, it's always good to speak to people who are like-minded on the same mission. So thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. As you reflect back on that time and the journey and the challenges, you know, we all turn to different coping mechanisms to help us get through that, many of which are unconscious. And um, maybe you could speak a bit to where we lean on those unconscious coping mechanisms, what is going to be helpful, not helpful, and 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 maybe some really specific tips of how we can better cope through any kind of challenging breakup. Yeah, it's a great question because we all have strategies that we run unconsciously that get us through day to day. And quite often we don't know that we've learned them or that there's another way of dealing with things. So if you think about babies when they're born, they're not born scared of spiders, for example. Yeah, a lot of us are scared of spiders. And if you look back to how that started, quite often it starts off by looking at mum or dad's reaction to a spider crawling across the floor, suddenly panic, screaming, ah, a spider. And we learn, oh, if we see a spider, we scream, we're scared and we jump on the sofa. And that's how we learn. It's a learned coping mechanism. It's a learned reaction to something. So a lot of the time we will learn how to deal with stress, how to deal with difficult scenarios from people that are around us. And interestingly, we either follow what they're doing or we do the opposite because sometimes we look and think, oh, that doesn't seem to be working so well for mum. I'm going to do something different. So, again, looking at to where you learn these strategies is always interesting. But the point here is that we learn it unconsciously. We don't sit around and think, right, how am I going to deal with stress? Or if something traumatic happens in my life, what are my options? Where do I go with this? Which path is going to best serve me? We just do what we've always done because that's what we know. And I think the interesting thing when I'm working with clients and, and when you know, I'm sure you're working with clients is looking at those behaviors. And there's such a range. Um, some people have unhealthy coping mechanisms, which could be drinking. A lot of my clients will have a glass of wine in the evening to take the edge off, but that soon becomes two or three glasses or even a bottle of wine. And before you know it, they're drinking six or seven bottles of wine a week. And that then becomes a bit of a habit, which obviously isn't going to help them the next day or making good decisions because they're going to have brain fog at best. 
So there's other things like turning to drugs or, you know, sex, maybe partying. Um, a lot of people will cry a lot and just stay in bed and retreat from the world. And again, all these things are normal. I'm not saying that there's anything not normal. It is normal. So if you're going through any of these things, please know it's okay. But the trick here is to become consciously aware. And then there's other people who will go to the gym. You know, I've got a client at the moment and he cannot be in the house on his own. So as soon as he wakes up, which is really early, he gets up and he goes to the gym and then he works out in the gym and then he goes straight to the office and then he works really, really hard because that's a distraction for him. And it's a coping mechanism. So he doesn't have to think about the fact that his wife's not at home anymore. And then in the evening, he'll go back to the gym because he doesn't want to walk into that house on his own. Or he'll try and find someone at work to go for a drink with him. So he puts off the inevitable of going home. So again, these strategies we pick up and they're more avoidance or what I call stuffing, uh, stuffing emotions. You're stuffing them down, which is normal. Okay, so it's okay, But becoming aware of it means you can then take your power back and change them. And that's where you taking your control back steps in. And this is how we fast track you through your breakup by shining a light on the unconscious behaviors you're running. So you can decide, is this working for me? And what are the other options? So, for example, building up your breakup support team around you will give you people to talk to or to help you dial down some of those negative emotions so you don't feel yourself having to distract yourself when you start thinking about, say, money or finances. You can speed dial your breakup support contact for dealing with finances and get the help you need and those questions answered. So what we're looking to do is set up a team around you so that you don't have to answer all those questions yourself. You have friends that will help you not the friends that are going to chop up your clothes and put them in bin bags. And, and I've had clients doing that before and it, and it never pans out well, I can tell you. But, you know, friends that are going to give you constructive advice um, who are going to be able to help you move forward. And I don't know if you see this, Karen, I'm sure you do, but some family members can really be emotionally hurt and feel betrayed as well by the breakup, which their advice isn't always the best advice. It might be well-meaning, but, you know, let's go and slash his tires or let's tell her friends what she's been up to or something like that. Yeah, that isn't a constructive, um, helpful advice. So it's usually finding somebody that's a little bit outside of that emotional intensity to help navigate those those challenges. I'm not saying you can't talk to your friends, obviously, but just the friends you go to for advice in those moments of need need to be people that can give you that constructive, helpful perspective, at least. And I agree with you that there are friends and family who want to hijack your experience and turn it into their own and twist things around and really add fuel to the fire. That is not helpful. And for those who maybe feel like they don't either have that strong support group or they've worn them out, uh, and we can wear our friends and family out, but it is so important to have witnesses, to have an outside ear to process with. Talk a little bit about the support groups and the power of the support groups that you have developed. There is great value in an external group of people going through the same thing. I was just surprised that uh, there's help for everything in life, right? If you want to give up alcohol, there's groups you can go and talk to. If you want to lose weight, there's well-known groups you can go to. For pretty much everything in life, there's a support group, but there wasn't one for heartbreak. And I just found this incredible because everybody on the planet goes through heartbreak at least once in your life. And once if you're lucky, I think, right? Most of right. us are a lot more than that. Um, so why was there no support? So 
again, this is one of the areas that I thought, you know what, I want to set up groups so that people can come online to a safe environment. So they're all run by my accredited coaches who've trained in my training school with me. They're all trained in breakup. So any kind of breakup, divorce, as well as domestic abuse, because we've seen a big rise in that over the last few years. Um, and it just means that it creates a safe space where people come on, find their tribe, because you're going to meet other people going through it. So as you said, Karen, friends can get sick to death of hearing the story or think you should be further down the road by now. You know, come on. You know, that was months ago. You need to get back out there. So, again, we give constructive advice and help. You can share some of your story hear from other people going through similar things. And I think it gives a lot of confidence. It helps with the loneliness because you've found other people going through it. So you don't feel so isolated. Um, and ours, they're free for a week and, and less than a dollar an hour to attend the sessions after that. So really affordable, making it really accessible for anyone. And we have people from all over the world jumping on those sessions every week. We have eight hours of coaching a week that are available at the moment. Beautiful. You mentioned domestic divorce as its own unique experience and group of individuals looking for a different kind of support. Would you unpack more what you've seen, the changes around that, the impact of the pandemic, and how we can watch for signs that domestic violence might be present in the relationship? Yeah, it's a really good point. And in America, you guys call it domestic violence. Over here, UK, we changed that actually quite recently to domestic abuse, because one of the challenges we found was that a lot of people thought that domestic violence was just when you were hit and physical violence, like burns or breaking bones. But actually, the term encompasses a lot more than that. Um, domestic violence in, in the States means any kind of abuse. So it could be, um, it could be financial abuse, which we've seen a big rise in, or just even maybe awareness of that. Um, and that means controlling what you spend, controlling uh, the bank accounts. Maybe you don't have access to that. Classic uh, that we hear a lot, you know, oh, well, let's put all our money into one account, put everything in. And then and then what happens is they don't close down their other bank accounts, but you do. So the victim is left with just that shared pot, which they have, you know, a, a control over as well. Or, or they say, put your salary into this account and then we'll pay you. I'll, I'll decide how much we need. I'm managing the finances to protect the house so we don't run out of money. So you're no good with money. I'll do that. So those sort of things, financial abuse. Um, obviously, emotion abuse, coercive control is a big thing now um, that is recognised. It's now a criminal offence uh, in the UK since 2015. Um, and that is controlling behaviour as well. So controlling behaviour where... Um, it's interesting because it starts off, uh, as with all abuse, it can start off so you wouldn't really notice it. Um, but again, these things get bigger and bigger. So I'll talk a little bit about how the science spot the signs. But there's financial, sexual, um, emotional and obviously physical abuse come into this. So it's all all kinds of domestic abuse come under that domestic violence banner. Um, so spotting the signs. Well, a lot of people say, well, how do you get into those relationships? If someone's like that, why do you even get in? Well, they're not like that at the beginning. OK, if they showed up as they are on the last day of the relationship on day one, most people, I would hope, would run a million miles. I know I certainly would have done. But it's like putting the frog into the into the pan of cold water. You heat it up slowly. The frog doesn't notice that it's suddenly boiling and then they can't get out. If you put them into a boiling vat of water, they'll jump straight out. So again, yeah, it, it builds up over time. 
Um, and love bombing is how they get us in. You might have heard of that term. Love bombing is when they make you feel a million dollars. So incredible. They put you up on a pedestal. They really treat you or like a prince or princess, give you all the time, all the compliments, grandiose gestures, but also promises of security and stability. And they'll find out your weaknesses emotionally and prey on those. So, you know, you'll never be alone again or, you know, we're going to have the most fabulous lifestyle and they'll prey on that. So by the time you're hooked in, you're fallen in love, that's when the mask starts to slip and the behavior starts to, to show. But you stay because it's very hard to get out. And um, they tend to isolate you from friends and family. Very common. And again, it won't be, you know, let's not see those people. It will be, oh, do you do you think they're um, they actually like you then? Because I'm not sh- I'm not sure they do, or I'm not sure they've got your back. Or it could be something like, oh, I don't really fancy seeing your parents again this weekend. So right, if we take a break this weekend and then it just becomes not a habit anymore and you start to distance. Or it could be something like you depend a lot on your family. You know, I'm your partner now. You should be asking me these questions. You know, I'm feeling like hurt that you don't. So, again, to stay in these relationships, you have to be highly empathetic, a fixer, someone that wants to make things better, probably want to avoid conflict most of the time. And are, and are happy to sort of suck up the difficult situation just to avoid any conflict. So we can see how people easily get suckered into these relationships and then they stay because it's very hard to get out because it wears away at your confidence, your self-esteem. Um, things like, oh, your clients, one of my clients was telling me the other day, her partner used to say to her, oh, you look lovely. It's so, I love that dress on you. It's so brave that you wear that without sleeves. You know, you're wearing that dress without sleeves with your podgy arms, you know, but your confidence is great because you're just going to wear it anyway. You don't care what people think. Well done you. I thought that was a compliment, but she said, but it's not. And it always used to make me feel bad, but it it was said in a way that was disguised. So again, these sort of backhanded uh, insults and put downs are very, very common. So we look at all these things and we look at how people give away their power in the relationships and then end up being finding it very, very difficult to leave. And obviously during the pandemic, it shone a big light on that because people were forced together. And again, that's why we've seen a massive rise in domestic abuse since the pandemic and people needing this kind of help and support. Oh, such important work. And uh, very important that we touch on that topic here at the Good Divorce Show, because not everybody has an easy, clear path out of their marriage. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll continue our conversation with internationally renowned coach, best-selling author, Sarah Davison, the divorce coach. Stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. 
It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. Because everyone can make money in real estate. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Thanks for staying with us, listeners. I have with us today from across the pond, coming to us from England, internationally renowned uh, divorce coach, podcast host of Heartbreak to Happiness, media commentator, and really what I would say is a pioneer and a trailblazer in the work of changing the narrative around divorce. Please welcome back, Sarah Davison. Thank you, Karen. What a lovely intro. Thank you very much. Let's dive into time that we actually go through the process of the legal divorce format, which may or may not be similar in the US and the UK, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to unravel a complex relationship. We always say it's so easy to get married and it's really difficult to get divorced. Start us out. What are the things that we typically miss or that we're not thinking of as we approach the legal dissolution? Well, it's a great question. And I think that there is a global issue with the family court system. Um, It's very antiquated. It's very out of date. um, I know for a fact in the US and also very much over here in the UK. I think one of the things that people don't realize is that family courts, they think, oh, I'm going to go to court and I'll get what's fair, what's just. And unfortunately, it may as well, in a lot of cases, have casino written above the door instead of court, because it really is shocking. But I mean, this happened to me. I'm not sure if anyone listening has had this happen to them. But I went to court on the first day thinking, well, I've got everything and I've put everything down and I've been very honest and I've said how it is and I can back it all up. And we walk in and my barrister looks at me and goes, oh, no, we've got this judge. And I'm like, well, Okay, but we still got, oh, no, but they're very pro-fathers, this judge. So it's going to be a tough one. I'm thinking, hang on a second. That's not justice. Justice should not be biased. It shouldn't be biased. Oh, well, every judge has a bias. I'm like, oh, my goodness. How on earth is this possible? 
And then you get in there and you realize that they're true. It's, it's real. And very often your barrister or your lawyer will say, oh, okay, it's good. We've got this, this judge say, oh, oh, no, I'm not sure about. So again, also everybody has their own take on things. It just doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. It's not about justice. It's just about seeing so many people through a court system that it's just a very generic way of doing things. So they're not going to look at the ins and outs of your particular case in the amount of detail that you might hope they would. So, again, I think we've got to be very careful about thinking, well, go to court to get justice. In my opinion, if you are amicable and you have a choice of how you do go through that process, staying outside of the family courts and going to somebody like New Karen for mediation and looking at the different options available. I mean, in the UK, we have no fault divorce now, which means that you don't have to play the blame game anymore, which is fabulous and helps dial down a lot of those negative emotions from the get go. And it just means you can be a little bit more collaborative um, and work through it in a less emotionally intense way without accusations and blame. So that does help as well. I think one of the things people don't realize is that divorce can be very expensive, if you, especially if you're going the family court route. But that's not the only cost. The other cost, which people don't talk about, is the huge emotional cost and the impact of being dragged through reams and reams of legal paperwork, trying to understand a language and a legal jargon that, to be honest, is quite intimidating for most lay people who haven't dealt with that, however educated you might be. Um, it is designed to be intimidating and some of the lawyers aren't particularly kind. And that's me being very nice about the way they communicate with legal paperwork. So, again, if you can avoid that process, save yourself a lot of emotional stress. There's a, there's a benefit to that, um, to staying outside of that and trying to work through it as amicably as possible. Now, we talked a little bit about domestically abusive relationships Unfortunately for those, more than likely you will be dragged into the family court process because it's very hard to come to an agreement with somebody. Is if they're an abusive personality type, if you tell them what you want or what you hope to get, then they're not going to settle for that because their intention is not a healthy, fair resolution. Compromise won't even come into it. They're going to be looking for total annihilation and causing maximum suffering. And one way to continue the abuse, it's called post-separation abuse, is to drag you through a very expensive, toxic court process. So unfortunately for people that find themselves in that position, you're not alone. But again, that's why we set up our, our support groups with people that are trained to help you navigate that process, because it is a bit of a minefield, unfortunately. So heartbreaking when that happens. And, you know, our mantra is call your coach before you call the lawyer. We will help set you up, get your ducks in a row, know what questions to ask, be efficient so that you don't have to sit in this painful process longer than you need to. And I think there's a myth for people facing a divorce because we don't know if you don't know how to do it, you don't know how to do it. And this is not training. Nobody gets married with the intent of getting divorced. That's what your divorce coaches are for, to help educate and inform you. However, there is still a myth that the court or the lawyers are going to make decisions for you. And the reality is that you can craft your own divorce experience and post-divorce experience. Are there other myths or tips uh, the, the myth busters that you see where people get it wrong early on in the process. Well, yeah, I mean, family lawyer is what we call our attorneys over here. I think it's a very misleading term because I think for vulnerable people who are emotionally distraught, having the word family in the front makes you think that they're 
you know, always going to do the right thing by you. And they're all good people. Now, there are some good lawyers out there. I have to say this. There are lots of very good, very uh, uh, professional and uh, lawyers who do the right thing. But there are also lawyers, uh, what I refer to as the dark side of family law. And, you know, they run their businesses as a well, they are businesses. Ultimately, I think we've all got to realize that that's right. They're all a business and they need to make money. And some of them are more motivated by sales targets than others. And obviously going to court and having a long, drawn out, big, high conflict uh, divorce process makes more money for the law firm. And you often hear the only people that win in these cases are the lawyers. And that's very, very true in a lot of cases, although in some cases you do need a family lawyer to help you through. So again, it's about picking and choosing the right family lawyer for you. If you go to someone just because your friends had them, that's not usually the best thing to do. You need to find somebody that has worked on cases like yours before and watch out because the ones that the lawyer you pick will set the tone for your divorce. If you go for the pit bull who's used to, you know, in the press maybe, or has got a reputation for being aggressive, that's what you're going to get with your divorce process, which tends to mean, by the way, it's going to be a lot more expensive. If you go for somebody who is more amicable, focused on resolution and maybe collaboration, then you're going to have a very different style or at least intention when you set out on this divorce process. Um, So I think that's something that people think, you know, any family lawyer will do. It's not right. You need to find someone with specialist in your area. And if you are dealing with a toxic partner, please, please, please make sure you pick a lawyer who genuinely understands domestic abuse. And there is no compulsory training for any professional uh, family lawyer in the UK. And I think it's pretty much the same in the States. So what we find is that even though lawyers may say we have domestic abuse experience, they don't really understand the tactics in a way that a divorce coach who is trained in domestic abuse will understand it. Um, you know, you can't expect lawyers to be experts in everything, but very often they miss things which are massive pitfalls. And the consequences of that, especially when dealing with children cases, can be absolutely devastating. And that's one of the areas I specialize in, actually, and, and my team specialize in. So, again, just really important to get the right support around you, especially if it is an abusive relationship. Oh, I think you speak such wisdom in terms of the selection process. I always say if you're picking a therapist, a coach, a lawyer, it should be a little like picking shoes. You actually should try on a few pairs before you decide and make sure it's a good fit. And I don't think people really embrace their agency or their empowerment to be selective. These, this team of people are working for you. And I recently had a client, even with the real estate agent, they, they were saying, well, we haven't gotten our market assessment yet. And I've kind of been waiting. And I don't know if I said, absolutely call them up, ask them where the information is. They work for you. They're going to make money off of you. Do not shy away, lean into your power during this time. You do a lot of empowerment work and, you know, also bringing up that especially in the midst of the divorce, there can be a lot of high conflict. What are your best guidelines around conflict resolution, empowering yourself, taking ownership back of your life during this time? Oh, it's such a great question, Karen, because it's so important. And I think, um, I mean, high conflict, the lawyers will label certain divorces high conflict. Uh, That's something I have a big issue with because uh, most sane, healthy people do not want to end up in a high conflict divorce. So what you find is that in those high conflict scenarios, usually there is an abusive partner. And because 
it's whitewashed as high conflict, it gives the impression it's 50-50. And that's not the case. Uh, in fact, it's probably 100% zero in a lot of the cases that I deal with. They do not want to go to court. They don't want to argue, but they have no choice. So again, we're going to be careful of that term high conflict. But when you're dealing with conflict with your ex, you know, you are going to get conflict in a healthy relationship. And this is really important because yes, yeah, because when you're separating two lifestyles, this it's gonna it's going to rock your very foundation of even the nicest, calmest, kindest partner is going to find that difficult, and that's going to show up in different ways, and that might be conflict. It's quite normal. And it's not abusive. It's just you're having a disagreement, an argument. Arguments in those scenarios are normal. It might feel abusive in the moment, but it's not. It's part of that healthy relationship dynamic of trying to jostle to come to a compromise. Ultimately, both of you want that fair resolution and you want each other to be okay. It's just you might have to have a few difficult conflict conversations along the way. That's normal. So again, I think looking after yourself in those moments I always suggest if you do have a healthy relationship to set some boundaries and to say, look, I know what you're like when you get under stress and you know what I'm like. So let's agree how we're going to deal with those moments, because we're going to see quite a few of them as we separate lifestyles and houses and access to kids and all that kind of thing. So, you know, if I usually, you know, start shouting, I'm just going to shut down and give you sleep on it and I'll come back tomorrow. It's not I'm ignoring you. I'm just trying to process and ultimately set some boundaries and say, you know, let's keep that respect, even if one of us does get a little bit angry or maybe a little bit uh, snippy with each other, because ultimately you want to preserve that relationship in the long term and you don't want something now to damage that permanently. So I think setting those guidelines up front is going to be really important. That's if right. With a, if you're dealing with a toxic person, you have no control over their behavior. So again, it's self-care on you, learning that you can't control what they're doing. There's no way you can be, well, we can't for anyone healthy or toxic, we can't control another person. We can only control ourselves and our reaction to that. And I think taking power back and sort of taking time out to sort of process, what can I control? I can't control that they never turn up to pick the kids up on time or that they are going to send nasty emails, but I can control my reaction to that or how I cope with that. Or I can stop relying on them for things, which is a big tip if you're dealing with an abusive personality. Don't give your power away by asking them to do anything. Build up your own support team. So it doesn't matter if they don't pick little Johnny up to go to football because you've got a friend who's going to swing by on their way past and take him with the other kids. You know, find a way to work around it. So that if they turn up and they get time with their kid, great, you're not stopping it, but you're definitely not going to let little Johnny or yourself go through that trauma every time they don't show up. So it's about learning to take your power back. I think there's another myth out there for those of us going through divorce that somehow our uh, ex-spouse is going to be different than when they were our spouse. And we have a different set of expectations. It's the same person. And the things that drove you nuts in the marriage, the things that disappointed you, chances are those are going to carry on. And so you're absolutely right. Part of that empowerment is to reframe your expectation and own your power so that you don't spend a lifetime in disappointment and irritation. It is a waste of time. So true. And also that works for if you're heartbroken because your ex has run off with someone else you know, they're still going to be the same dysfunctional partner they were with you. They might be best foot forward at this point, but they can have your sloppy seconds because they're not going to change for the new partner. So anything they did that was upsetting or difficult or toxic around you, they will be repeating those behaviors. 
And I think sometimes that's hard when you're in heartbreak to realize that. But actually, you know what? You're better off without someone that didn't want you, didn't choose you, didn't put you first. And now it's time for you to choose you and put you first. That's right. Well, when we come back from the break, chatting today with Sarah Davison, uh, divorce coach and uh, best-selling author, podcast host, but we want to talk about this chapter post-divorce, not only the recovery, but how we choose new partners. Do we learn from our divorce experience so that we're not repeating patterns and that we can find our next best life? Stay tuned, listeners. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more. We'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to the show. I am your good divorce coach, Karen McNenny, today chatting with international best-selling author, Sarah Davison. She is best known as the divorce coach and really has been a pioneer in the divorce coaching world, has trained over 400 coaches across, I think, 23 countries now, five continents. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. No, oh, thanks for having me. I'm really enjoying the great questions you're asking, Karen. Thank you. Well, we want to talk a little bit about the post-divorce, hopefully what feels like an afterglow. And some people are quick to jump into another relationship, which I'm always cautious about, the danger of repeating patterns, selecting the same sort of partners. 
So share with us some of what you've learned and how we can better identify our own love languages, what's going to be healthy for us, and how we can move into a more vibrant relationship with ourselves and others post-divorce. Yeah, it's so important. It's a great topic because you're right. So many people will jump in and just repeat patterns. They're patterns that we don't even know we have consciously a lot of the time. Um, And that's why I created this exercise that I'll share with you uh, called my how to design your ideal partner exercise, which is great fun, but actually really can transform the way you look at dating. And also for those of you who are going, I'm never dating again. I'm never I'm never trusting anyone again. It will provide you with a bit of a safety net so that you can get back out there and start to build your confidence. So how does it work? Well, first of all, we look at what do you want from a relationship? Now, most of us know what we want, right, Karen? You know, if it's tall, dark, handsome, short, blonde, blue eyes, whatever it is that you are attracted to, most of us have quite a good idea of that. But what we're not so good at is thinking about what do we need? And this exercise really enables us to go into the lessons we're learning from the past that we're going to bank and we're not going to keep carrying on so life can keep on teaching us that same lesson over and over and over again. We're going to go, okay, I know that I need someone who is maybe emotionally intelligent or that is uh, quite helpful around the house because otherwise it drives me nuts or is good with kids or loves dogs. It could be simple as that, right? But what do you need from a partner? Also, if you've been betrayed, usually your values have shifted. You know, a divorce is quite a traumatic experience, as we all know. It's the second most experience, most traumatic experience we go through in a lifetime after death of a loved one. And that's when your personal values tend to shift around a bit. So what's most important to you in a relationship when you're in your, say, early 20s might be more uh, about having fun and passion and excitement and adventure. Whereas now, if especially if you've been cheated on, it might be honesty, loyalty, stability. So again, looking at your values and trying to establish what are your top five values? What's most important to you in a relationship? And what do you need in a partner in that relationship? And you can blue sky this, you know, any ideas go, you know, you could say things like, oh, I want green eyes and he must be able to speak French or she must be able to sew and things like that, which you think, oh, yes, ideally. But this list is flexible, right? And there's some things that you could be flexible on, but then we come down to things that you can't be flexible on. And they are what I call your five must not haves. And those are things that are deal breakers, Deal breakers, meaning if these show up at any point in the relationship, you are going to deploy your parachute and exit the building with immediate effect. Okay, we're not going to try and say, well, I can change him or, oh, well, maybe they'll be different with me this time round. Or the fact that they're telling me their mum says they're selfish means that they can't be that selfish. No, when someone shows you or tells you who they are, we need to believe them and we need to get good at doing that. Right. So the five must-haves are deal breakers. So that could be lying. It could be smoking. It could be, you know, doesn't like exercise. It could be anything for you that is an absolute deal breaker. This is not blue eyes or, you know, a six pack. This is, this is not the list for that. This is five must-not-haves and that is you out. And you'll be surprised that when you've got this written and you've put some time into working out what you want and what you need, but also what you must not have, it gives you more clarity. And when you've got clarity, your confidence is, is higher because you know if any of these things show up, I'm out. 
And again, this is something that can protect you when you're going on dates. In fact, I had a client who went on a date recently and she said, uh, she said, oh, I'm really excited. She goes, from the list we did, seems really nice. Yeah, I really liked him, went for a drink and it was nice. It was only a quick drink. So I always recommend that for the first meeting. She said, I'm going to go for dinner. So I was like, great. So she said, it's all right if I message you afterwards. I said, sure, message me afterwards. So <laughs> I was waiting for the message and I got a phone call. And she told me that, uh, she said, I think I've done the wrong thing. I'm not sure. Can you tell me what did I do wrong? She said, I went in, we sat down and he was really rude to the waitress. He was clicking his fingers. He said there was something wrong with his food and sent it back, but not in a nice way. And rudeness was one of her must not haves because her ex was rude to everyone. And so she sort of said in her head, she had warning signs going and warning bells going off. So she said, he walked me to the car. She said, and there was that awkward moment where he was sort of going to go in for a kiss. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And she said, I turned to him and said, no, I'm sorry, I don't want to see you again. She said, I jumped in my car and I drove off. She goes, <laughs> but now I'm thinking maybe I was too, maybe did I rush that? Maybe I should have given him a second chance. And I said, but what's your gut telling you or instinct? She said, no, he's so rude. And I said, well, you've saved yourself a hell of a lot of heartache. And you did exactly the right thing because you've got out with someone that you know your values aren't aligned. And also you've been very clear with him and you've stuck to your boundaries. And this was one of the things she was scared of, dating people that made her feel worthless like her ex and she was embarrassed about. So again, these can be really powerful tools that really work if you stick to them, of course. That's Oh, the I think it's brilliant. And the fact that you do it preemptively so that you don't talk yourself out of it. It's when you're single clear-minded, not hijacked by the love drugs, not the desire of wanting to be wanted and in a new relationship. We're willing to, to bend all sorts of different ways and contort for the sake of love. And what I really appreciate about this approach is that you're deciding your boundaries before you meet the person so that your values are what come first. That sounds yeah. like extraordinary recovery. <laughs> and, and also, I think it's really important to have fun when you're dating is, yeah, I think a lot of people think, right, you know, the, it's a big fear, probably the biggest fear after a breakup is I'm going to be alone and no one's ever going to love me again. And that's yes. normal human reaction, by the way. So don't worry if that's you, because it's, it's normal. So what happens, and I, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, you usually have two criteria for finding a new partner. One is they have a pulse. And the second one is they show one tiny sign of affection. And then people go into this, what I call limpet mode, where they suck at themselves to this poor person so they never have to be alone again, which obviously isn't a great way to maintain a relationship. But I think we've got to get comfortable with meeting Mr. or Miss right now rather than Mr. and Miss right. It's not about finding your long life partner after this. It's about having fun. It's about going on a discovery to find who you are, meeting different people, flirting with different people, having fun with different people. You, know, you choose your own boundaries, but do it consciously. And if any warning signs come up, you're out. But being honest and having that open communication is obviously going to be key with those relationships that aren't so serious for you. But I think it's important to have those boundaries in place. I think yeah. this idea of discovery dating and it's not just discovery about the other person, it's discovery about self. Yeah. And many of us, particularly those first, sometimes young, oblivious marriages, 
this is now our a classroom, right? Take your divorce relationship and think of it as your classroom and what you are learning. And, and one of those tools that both you and I have leaned on and share with clients is this idea of, of the five love languages. And if you can identify more of that for yourself, and then these discovery dates that you're going on so that we can find right fit. We say ice cream is great. Ketchup is great. Together, not so great. So know who you are and what you're looking for. Walk us through the five love languages and how you have found this to be of benefit to your clients. Yeah, I think it's one of those fun things that you can do. I think a lot of people like those quizzes where they go, right, you know, this is me, what are you? And and I think this is a bit like that, but it's a really good guide. And it was created by Gary Chapman. So he, it's an amazing job. It's one of the best-selling books of all time, The Five Languages of Love. But the first one is Words of Appreciation. And it's really interesting. How do you show love? Is it words of appreciation? Is it uh, physical touch? So holding hands. Is it quality time, sort of uninterrupted, without the kids, without your phone? Is it gifts? Uh, it doesn't have to be Prada handbags, so that can be nice, but it, it could just be a tiny small <laughs> gift that you've picked up, a bunch of flowers you picked on the side of the road. It doesn't matter. Um, or acts of service. And these are things like, you know, bringing you a cup of tea, I'm British, right? A cup of tea in the morning or um, mowing the lawn in the, you know, on the weekend or washing your car, you know, those sort of things. So I think we all have one or two that we lean to predominantly to show how we love somebody. So for example, mine is words of appreciation. I'll always say, I love you uh, and you look nice. That's how I to high, demonstrate my love and also physical touch. I think you know, holding hands or having a cuddle, that for me is my top two. So have a think about them and see which top two resonate most strongly for you. But the interesting thing, and I think the power of the languages of love is to understand that the way that we show our love is the way that, uh, is the way that we feel loved as well. That's right. So what does that mean? Well, if your partner has uh, words of appreciation, so like for me, if I met somebody and they have words of appreciation, I would feel really loved because they're giving me back in my language, my primary language, how I feel loved. But if someone has acts of service and they're mowing the lawn or they're bringing me cups of tea, I'm not going to put so much value on that. And I could still feel very unloved, even though for them, if acts of service is their number one, they're going to think they're telling me they love and demonstrate their love for me all the time. So you can see how sometimes people are misaligned in relationships where, and I've seen this before, where people say, I don't think my partner really cares about me. Why? Well, I was always mowing the lawn and doing the shopping and never at home with me. Well, okay, but what's your what's most important? Quality time. Ah, okay. Well, maybe you mow the lawn with him and go to the shops with him. I don't know, but we need to. It doesn't mean they don't work. It just means that you have to work a little bit harder to maximize that. And I think, yeah, it depends on who you are and your flexibility and it and ability to see and work together on this. You know, you both need to put in a bit more effort sometimes to understand and then compromise your styles just to make sure the other person is feeling loved. That's right. We usually express love in our own love language, which may not be our partners. And so there is a gap of understanding. Uh, so absolutely, I, I think this is a tool that can be really valuable. Clearly, you have such depth of wisdom and expertise, Sarah, and um, tools available. I wish that we had 
a lot more time to chat with you today, but instead, can you share with our listeners here on The Good Divorce Show where they can find you, additional tools and resources, and reminding people, even though you're based in London, you have an international community as we have an international group of listeners. So where can we find you? Well, uh, my website is saradavison.com, so you can find me on there. Um, I also am on Instagram. I do post daily tips and advice and videos every day to help. So if you're struggling, Sarah Davison Divorce Coach on Instagram is a good way to boost your mood every day and get some top tips and advice. Um, Also, my online support groups are called Heartbreak to Happiness. You'll find those on my website as well. Also, my one-to-one coaching options as well and retreats and workshops a workshop in September on how to divorce an abusive partner and recover from a toxic relationship. So we cover all sorts of things, but you can find them on my on my website as well as my podcast, Heartbreak to Happiness. Oh, wonderful. And again, so grateful to have a fellow pioneer and warrior in the work of supporting, pe- supporting people who are going through heartbreak. If there were one thing that you would want everyone to take away today to help them in their own journey, what might that be? Oh, that's a great question. And, and before I answer, I just want to say thank you for inviting me as your guest. I love your show. I love your questions. I think you do a great job as well. So I just want to say thank you so much. It's a real honor you, to, to be on here with you. Well, my one piece of advice, I guess, is, is it's not what happens to you in life that defines you. It's what you do about it that makes you the person you are. And if you think right back to the beginning of the podcast, when I said that I was, I came to that defining moment where I had a choice. Yeah, and we all have a choice. We can either allow this breakup to define us and be a negative impact in our life, or we can choose another path, which is to turn that pain into your greatest power and to learn that adversity can sometimes be your greatest gift and to take the lessons and move forward. And I think that, you know, that is the path to happiness and that's the path to going on that personal development journey and using it to be happier and know that you can be happier and more confident in the future. Oh, that is just inspiring and solid advice. Thank you, Sarah Davison. And to all of our listeners, remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.